our familiar Alvin Lee lyrics starting out on this Monday. Lunas, Monday, Monday, can't trust that day. 46 little hours under the bridge. And uh, wow, all the things that have developed to welcome to the Monday edition. Roger Sales, Chris is on board already here in the Jitsi platform room. You can be too. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Radio Ranch, the title of our two-hour daily weekday get-together where we try to parse parse nits and get into high-level intellectual critical thinking conclusions. They don't like you to do any of that. Okay? Uh, and, of course, the People's Patriot Network's where we do all that, mix up the magic brew of freedom. Here it is, the 13th of July, almost at the mid part of uh, the first month on the turn to the back end of the year. And uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of stuff going to happen right now. There's a ton of stuff happening. I wanted to kind of start. Somebody else joined us there. The thing that came to me there at uh, a few minutes before the show was this somewhere out of my subconscious was delivered. The, These are the times that try men's souls line. We used it before, been critical times in our lives, but boy, I'll tell you what, it's shaping up to be a wing dinger right now. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, I was going to start out the show today by playing that basically 25-minute interview with a guy named Dr. Elliot. I, I, I rewatched it last night. It's a great interview. There's a lot of very poignant ideas there, but I didn't want to take up 30 minutes of the program really on second thought playing that today with so many other poignant things to discuss. And uh, so what I will do is put that at the end of the show description if you want to go watch it. It also has in the back half of that show, which I did not get exposed to the, when I saw it originally, was this black conservative guy that's very, very impressive, and I can't remember his name, and he does a second 30-minute interview with that. I haven't even watched it, actually. I'd like to. Um, but I'll put Tim that Scott. in the, Pardon me? No, it's not Tim Scott. He's a senator. This is a black intellectual guy, and he's written a book, and I just don't remember his name, but I know I've seen snippets of him on some other interviews, and he's very impressive. Uh, anyway, this uh, Dr. Elliot, and I wanted to correct a little of this because I was able to catch it watching it again last night. Uh, he is a professor emeritus at the University of California in Santa Cruz, uh, a very distinguished, poised, well-paced with his speech and ideas and super coherent older gentleman who is also the president of the California Scholars Association, I think. Uh, they, that's the entity that he named anyway it's worth watching and I, I think the other one probably is too if you got some spare time you know if you're having to fight antifa warriors in the backyard it might not be the thing on the your priority list but uh it's worth watching um i kind of want to start out today on going back to where I, I i like to always keep us and uh, uh that is in your freedom and uh, the things that have come up here lately 
uh, especially a couple of times uh, about this little territory over on the other side of the world in the South Pacific, little no bigger than an almond, called American Samoa. And over the weekend, two articles came up on this case and this situation. And I kind of wanted to go back and plow in and start the show with that. They're not long, but I do want to read them to you because there's some just interesting stuff in there. And um, it, it uh, is, is quite interesting. One of them, Chris, you'll be, you'll be surprised to know, is from uh, NBC News. And the other one, you may be even more surprised to know, is the ACLU's website. So uh, being as that they're kind of concise and short, uh, I thought that I might want to cover them with you because uh, that's just important. You know, as, as I was thinking about this before we got started this morning, I didn't really put the American Samoa thing together until after the book was published. I don't think there's anything about it in my book from Sovereign to Surf because I didn't understand it and I didn't know this element back then. I knew what they'd done, but I did, didn't know how they'd completely done the whole picture. And the first thing that I remember throwing an antenna up at me on this was somebody sent me an email. And it was about, and you can go look this up on the Internet and your favorite <laughs> Go search engine, uh, and it was. You can put these two words. I think if you put words or phrases in quotation marks, they they do a, a, a parallel search or something. You guys that are whiz bangs at search engines and know stuff like that, but you put in the words plebiscite, P L E B I S I T E. I believe it's spelled plebiscite. And in the other little quotation brackets, you put American Samoa. And it'll come out about when this started. It's probably been brewing for a while, but it came to a head, oh, what, 10, 12 years ago, maybe, or something, from American Samoa. Okay? And they were upset enough that they wanted to have this plebiscite. A plebiscite is a general vote on the, on the issue. And uh, they were going to put it up to a vote. And in that article, the, that's where I found out where they're under the control of. Because the representative that oversaw that type of activity came down the, from the secretary zone of the interior. Okay? So that's what's managing. So they take, not only do they shove it over on the other side of the world, they go and put it under the auspices of some damn government agency that you'd never dream of looking for it. Insular Department of the Interior. Position. Yeah, insular possession. So anyway, that's how this first came up, and I started putting it together. And the interesting juxtaposition here is that from that plebiscite, which was started on the other side of the world, now this is starting, both the, this, this guy, this latest case we've been discussing, is filed inside the U.S. for American Samoans that are living here. Okay? So those are the two different aspects. And, you know, when you go back, how did, they, how did David Copperfield hide the Statue of Liberty? How did he make that plane disappear? What's the same crap we're doing here? How'd they make that old status state citizen disappear? 
all this and hiding it over there, changing the name and hiding it in a double hiding on the other side of the world and through the Department of the Interior in the bureaucracy. Pretty good Press job. Digitation. Pretty it's good. Magic. See, that's why I like doing this is you can undress these son of a bitches, man. They ain't got no clothes or no wardrobe when you, you know what they're doing. And then you can go back and figure out how they did it. And it just exposes them because they always do the same things over and over again. Now you got their techniques. Okay. So anyway, that's uh, uh, the background of it. It's a super important aspect of this, but let me tell you what, it, it confuses the hell out of people because to be able to do what they did there, as I've come to conclude, and I, I'm still putting maybe some of this together, Brown versus Board of Education said equal in the classroom, equal in the society. Okay. But what they really, yeah, what they said is everybody's equal. Not, and then they, they, shoved it in the classroom cubbyhole because they'd started the whole mess with forced busing. All right? So then they got and hide it over there in American Samoa and change it to national, but when Brown versus Board of Education comes in, they tailor the whole thing to blacks. Classroom this, all the attention was on the blacks. None of the white people didn't get any coverage. You know, the, the, the black people didn't want their kids being bussed across town either. Okay? But out of that comes the statement, I'm trying to put this together, with the citizen, with the uh, certificate of non-citizen nationality. And that's the first time I've seen it put like that, see? And it says right there bluntly, all U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals. Let me turn that obnoxious thing down. All U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals. So there's a duopoly there. You're both. And they hid the other status in that previous way over there, two or three steps of hiding it. Then they come back and they set it up and tailor it like it's to the lower class, citizen, the federal citizenship. And then they come in. Very, You know, if you were in court, Chris, which you often are evidently, uh, and so, and one of those guys on the other side would say That's something like that. Okay, well, I, we got a real life testimony here, and this was unfolded in front of your courtroom. And that prosecutor over there made some question, and you'd say, "Your Honor, objection. That's a leading question. Are you a citizen of the United States? When the son of a bitches know you're both." Hmm. Interesting. It's not a citizen. Are you a citizen of the United States or a U.S. national? Anybody ever been asked that? Nope. Okay. You see, the crux of what I'm getting at here is your consent. And the deeper I get into this, the more I understand how important that is. With all the fraud that's on the setup on the front end, they absolutely require your consent. If you don't firmly object. And we give it to them. You've given it to them every damn time they've ever asked your entire life. And anybody that hadn't, please call in. Not anymore. Okay. So anyway, that gets my blood pressure going here for the two hours. Here's the one from Chris. I'm going to. Would you rather me read the NBC News one first or the ACLU one first? I think the ACLU probably holds more promise. <laughs> Okay. All right. Now, this is from, well, 
websites from ACLU.org over there. You can probably put American Samoa in their search engine and find out if it's not on the front page. Doesn't have a date here. It says news, northeast, west, and south. Did you know that's what that stands for, Chris? News and commentary. Nationals, in quote, but not in quote, capital C in this headline, citizens. Nationals, but not capital C citizens, colon. How the U.S. denies capital C citizenship to American Samoans. American Samoans are Americans. It's time we started treating them as such. That's the little byline. Okay, let me move my chair over here where I can read better. With one glaring exception... With one glaring exception, <laughs> all persons born in the United States or its territories are U.S. Now we got a small c, citizens. The exception are persons born in American Samoa, a U.S. territory since 1900, who hold an obscure and discriminatory status. Oh, God. Racist. They're probably damn racists. Who hold an obscure and discriminatory, stat, discriminatory status as, quote, non citizen nationals. And they are non citizen nationals. In December, uh, in December, a Utah federal court rightly held that because American Samoa is a U.S. territory and part of the United States, the Constitution Citizenship Clause applies to persons born there just as it does to those born in the 50 states. We already... Uh-oh, Chris is going to interrupt. Objection? Sustained? Yeah. Well, no, no. Point of order. Okay. Uh, I would suggest okay. that I don't think it's unmaterial that Utah is a very Mormon-centric area, thanks to Brigham Young, or Brigham Young as they call him, and the fact that they have a lot of missionary work they've done over in Samoa, and they, they sure have. may even have a church over there, I think that's probably where some of this comes from, and it sounds like a tactically placed case they uh, i believe that the the our mormon brethren have penetrated american samoa pretty heavily as they have everywhere man i ran into them on the street in argentina okay um <clears throat> here we go we recently filed an amicus brief amicus curiae brief is what they're talking about supporting the ruling the ruling out of this utah district court that they're referring to the case we've talked about here as of recently now let me just say for the, you guys if you don't remember i went to i picked up the phone because none of you would do it and get me the information i picked up the phone and called the district court in salt lake city about the case and i got the attorney's names from the nice clerk that was very very helpful went and looked all this stuff up for me man i mean i was just kind of blown away came back and gave me the lead attorney that's mentioned in these articles and his secondary attorney that's in dc i believe he's in seattle i hope hopefully he hadn't been down there at uh, chop but i think he's on top of this case and i may just call him again because he never responded i mean i can imagine you get a call your busy attorney here's some wacko calling you telling you this stuff and you dispel it uh, but I'm thinking about giving him a recall here and maybe 
Inquiring minds want to know if you yeah. will share the nom, the plumes, and perhaps the case number. Well, I don't. I didn't get all that stuff, Chris. Uh, you can call the Utah District Court and ask them. They'll probably be real nice to you too and give it to you. But um, I do like to explain to him why he ain't got a chance of a snowball in hell of winning this case. Now, this is the ACLU's website. They filed an amicus curiae brief after the Utah decision initially here recently. And who filed the other amicus curiae briefs before it goes up to the Tenth Circuit there in Denver, the Chris? The Southern Poverty Pedophile nope, Life nope, Center. Nope, 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 nope. On you the other side, me? on the other side. Well, I know I didn't know ACLU had filed a brief. It tells us here in this article. I did know two other entities, and I mean immediately after that decision came down filed an amicus brief one was the federal government and the other was american samoa on the other side opposing the decision okay there the previous case that came out of that plebiscite stuff years ago went all just for history here framing it for you went all the way up through the system and they applied for certiorari to the supreme court out of the dc appeals uh, group and certiorari was denied they can't hear the case if they ever ruled in american samoa's favor like this dumb like this utah district judge has done it blows the whole system Because now the state citizenship status can't be hid anywhere. The magician gets exposed. David doesn't make the Statue of Liberty disappear. The plane's still sitting there. They pull the curtains back from the wizard. Okay, that's what's going on here. And it's so damned interesting to know the intricacies of this because I'm going to tell you President Trump, obviously President Trump doesn't know this because he's under, uh, 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 the IRS is all over him in, in a damn, uh, 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 when they come check your butt out. I can't remember the name, the word doesn't come to me. If, if he knew all this, he'd have been out of the tax system a long time ago. Anybody yeah, can get out of the tax system. You know, I mean, listen, it's right there, 1.1-1A in the Code of Federal Regulations. When they come after you, the, who comes after you? The IRS? Your congressman doesn't come after you. It ain't some damn statute he passed. It's the regulations that this goon's boss, like the French Revolution, made these man-made laws, and they say, you violate them, the damn agents are coming after you. It's the administrative state. It's not the Congress. It says right there. I mean, you know, my contention. Yes, that the administrative state is the secret senior executive services of the Department of Justice, where it's hidden. It's the operational arm. This is the French Revolution, man. That's where it came from. I mean, they picked it up out of Rome because Rome pioneered this. But, boy, in the French Revolution, that's what they did. The word bureaucrat comes from, I've told it before. John told us this in one of our seminars. Bureau is the French word for burlap. And after the French Revolution, as they instilled the administrative state, they could tell who the bureaucrats were because they had the burlap on their desks.
Back to our article. We recently filed an amicus brief supporting that ruling there, appearing before the Tenth Circuit. We argue that American Samoans have constitutionally are constitutionally entitled to U.S. small sea citizenship and should enjoy all of the rights and protections that that Fourteenth Amendment citizenship entails. The case revolves around John Fitzsimon. Fitzsimonu, obviously American Samoan because I can't even pronounce his name, who has lived in Utah for over two decades but is ineligible to vote there because he was born in American Samoa. Now, that's an important point, man. I'd love to see some of our people that have got affidavits go down and apply to vote at their uh, voter registration as a U.S. national and not a non-citizen national. Let's see them do the dance now. Okay. Uh, John is a husband, a father of three, and a health care worker, and a health care worker. As a tax-paying Utah resident, ding, 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 John wished to work for the government, but kept hitting walls because of his status. John and his co-plaintiffs, other Utah residents born in American Samoa, there's more, more than one of them there, Chris, filed the lawsuit to secure their right to citizenship and their right to vote in the November 2020 general election. The intermediate, intermediate, that's what it says, intermediate, quote-unquote, non-citizen national status, exclusively to American Samoans, has been, has denied thousands the right to vote in most elections held in the 50 states. And the District of Columbia, among members of our nation, American Samoans truly stand alone. Persons born in other U.S. territories, for example, Puerto Rico, are citizens at birth and can vote in U.S. state and local elections upon moving to one of the 50 states. And since American Samoans owe permanent allegiance to our country, and since American Samoans owe permanent allegiance to our country, they, owe, they get so much allegiance owed that their representative can't even vote. They got one that sits up there, but they can't vote. That's how much allegiance and were born in a territory under exclusive U.S. control for 120 years, it is difficult to see why laws that limit voting to citizens should automatically disenfranchise those from American Samoa. Still, voting isn't the only area where American Samoans are excluded from the core tenets of citizenship, those those core tenets, you got one on your left ankle and one on your right ankle. The communist core. Even if they reside, ding, 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 in one of the 50 states, they may be denied the opportunity to run for office and to represent their communities. In a recent example, 
Sar Torino, an American Samoan who ran in 2018 as a Hawaii state representative for the Republican Party, ended her run when she was disqualified by decades-old policies barring American Samoans from holding public office. These policies leave American Samoans on the outside looking in on our nation's most demonstrative democratic traditions. The the exclusion of American Samoa from these traditions, of course, means that they aren't represented in local, state, or federal government, but there's more. Persons born in American Samoa are denied the right to serve on juries, do not enjoy the same rights as U.S. citizens to petition for immigrant status on behalf of family members, and have to traverse a burdensome, it's burdensome, and I'm sure it is, have to traverse a burdensome naturalization process if they wish to become birthright citizens. Federal citizens. Again, notwithstanding the fact that they are born, quote unquote, Americans. Moreover, even the more mundane harms of, quote unquote, non citizen nationals, status are onerous. For example, federal, state, and local laws often require U.S. citizenship as a condition for public employment. That requirement excludes American Samoans from employment as police officers, firefighters, paramedics, or public school teachers. They, they can't be court reporters in Utah. Hmm. Op, opt, uh, optometrists in New Mexico or... Funeral home directors in Oklahoma, to name a few of the professions into which they're barred entry. Even getting a driver's license can be an issue. These laws and policies gravely limit everyday life, liberal liberties, and opportunities for American Samoans living in the mainland U.S., a realm, a reality for over 100,000 people. As we note in our brief, American Samoans also serve in the U.S. military at remarkably high rates. In 2007, for example, American Samoans died in Iraq and Afghanistan at a higher rate per capita than troops from anywhere else in the United States or the territories. Quote, those wartime losses were strikingly tangible on the island. In keeping with local customs, most returned to to be buried in the front yard of their family home, their graves flanked by the flags of both the United States and the American Samoan. Samoa wrote the Chicago Tribune. There's a link there. Yet, unnaturalized American Samoan service members and veterans cannot vote for their commander-in-chief, serve in specialized survivors, Services, excuse me, specialized services like the special forces, they can't even be in the SEALs, or to rise to be officers in the military that they serve. American Samoans have been part of the natural fabric for more than a century. 
we should no longer deny persons born the benefits and rights to which all persons born in the U.S. soil are entitled. Doing so only perpetrates systems that foster stigma and division in our communities. The Tenth Circuit in Denver can and must affirm American Samoans' right to citizenship. ACLU.com. What do you think, Chris? Did I lose you, Roger? Yeah, what do you think, man? No, I'm here. Look, I'm I'm at the other computer. I hadn't touched a thing. If you've lost me, it's something else is going on. Let me see. All right. More, more techno hoops. No, it doesn't look like we've been disconnected from the server or anything. So I'm hoping that went out. Uh, it wasn't a too long of an article, but did you get to hear that, Chris? Oh, Chris dropped off. He's having problems on his end, I bet. Somebody else is here. There's a gray, a gray figure there. Hey, gray figure. You, uh, anybody that you want to say anything here? You just want to listen in and sit back there and be a silhouette. You want to be a silhouette? Let's see. Here comes somebody else calling in. Two R's. There's another R calling in. Hello. Yeah, Roger. I can't talk because I'm at work, but I'll just say this. You are on the air, so you're good. Okay. Thank you very much. That sounds like okay, Robert. No worries. Thanks, Robert. Go back to work, man. I'll keep listening. Okay. See ya. Go, go chase the shekels. Uh, we'll get Chris back in a minute. I think that must have been on his end, faded out and gone. And it, Chris is good enough to to load this Jitsi app. Um, and I, I'm sorry that he dropped off, and I'd like to see him uh, get back because I wanted to get his read on what I just read. There were some very interesting things in there. Anybody? Hello. I see somebody else. There's Daryl Waynes coming in, I think. Now, is that not interesting for with this schism, with this little magic trick they pulled, what they can't do to you is what they can do to the American Samoans. And I would tell you, and I don't remember the exact details, but I do remember that this concluded. In the early days before they were arrested, John and Glenn started running for public office out of Salt Lake. That's where they were living after they left Vegas, where the raid happened, they went back to Salt Lake, and they started running for office. Glenn ran against the local House of Representatives guy, whoever that was, and John ran against Orrin Hatch, a name that virtually everybody knows has been up there, you know, since they carved carved him on Mount Rushmore or something. Anyway, he was running against Warren Hatch, and they were getting out on the campaign trail and starting to put all this tax stuff out. Okay? Well, they went down. Before they went and did that, they went to the election office there in Salt Lake and got their status changed to electors. Okay? Not voter. But electors. Now, I don't know how they did that, but I remember it happened, okay? So now is it not interesting that somebody could sashay that's got your affidavit filed, is sashayed down to the office, and say you want to register to vote as a U.S. national or you want to be an elector and pull your affidavit out? See how they react. Those are the little things like Brian Howard going in and asking for a non-resident driver's license in Idaho years ago. These are the ways you press the envelope and find out real specifics, okay? Anyway, a uh, number of folks have joined us. It looks like uh, 
It looks like Mr. Chris is back too. Chris, I think that was on your end, buddy. Um, did you get to hear yeah. me read that whole article? I'll post both of these obviously today at, on CastBox, and you can go back and read them for yourself. But I wanted to read them. They're both relatively short and some interesting things in there. Did you think, Chris? Absolutely. In fact, I think I heard about 95%. I did get a call there towards the end, and I did notice Daryl's here on the board. But I did want to observe that um, with John and Glenn's, when you hear a lector, that actually implies qualified lector, and that is a capacity to set forth for the freemen landowners that had a vested interest in perpetuating the Union of States united under the original contemplations of the founders. And voters are mere proxy voters. And when you sign up with a party, you give your proxy vote to the party, and you think you're having influence, and you really ain't got a crap to say about it. Okay, well, one of the issues that's come up here on this Supreme Court ruling, one of these here recently, deals with these electors and how they are used. And it depends, evidently, upon the state and how the state decides the electors are to vote. And they've got one of two choices. They can follow the dictates of the people in their state. The state can mandate that to them. Or they can follow the popular election. And that is going to be state to state. Another little wild card. Nice picture up there. Another little wild card on uh, what's going on. So uh, Daryl joined us. Did y'all have anything else you wanted to comment, or do you want me to read the NBC News uh, story on this, and we can compare? Oh, go ahead. All righty. Let me find NBC here. Oh, there's the colored peacock right there. Uh, NBCnews.com. Why some Ameri American Samoans don't want U.S. citizenship. Some are concerned they could lose their indigenous political system and land rights, compiling it to what's happened to native Hawaiians. Neil Pilcher lives on Tarula, American Samoa's largest island, on land his family owns. His neighbors are all his relatives. The most important thing that Samoans, he said, is to be in accord with their living environment. And it's the Samoan way of life, the land ownership and the inhabitants, that is central to a debate over citizenship. So land ownership, according to NBC News, is a central element of this little floray. While now, American that would be referring to the fee, simple, absolute, loyal title landowners of Samoa they call kings. Correct. In and they, particular, as they, I recall, having they, some... They even have a word for it in the fact that their land ownership dictates who sits in the legislature that makes laws for everybody, and it all dictates back to land ownership. There's a name for it. They've got a name for it, but that came out of the original plebiscite. So anyway, that is central to a debate over citizenship. While American Samoans have been unincorporated U.S. territory since 1900, that may be a key here, unincorporated U.S. territory. Bet you it's the only one. 
since 1900, people born there have never been granted birthright citizenship. Unlike the four other U.S. territories, Puerto Rico, U.S. Virgin Islands, Guam, and the Commonwealth of Northern Marianas. A federal judge in Utah ruled last Thursday, however, that those born in American Samoa should be recognized as U.S. citizens. So this is dated a bit. That's okay. Not everyone, including Mr. Pilcher, agrees. Pilcher, 36, who works as an administration manager at the American Samoan government, rejects the idea that birthright citizenship will be beneficial for American Samoans saying that losing their unique status may eventually lead to the loss of their indigenous political system and land rights. Quoting Mr. Pilcher, I live in a house given to me by my father on land that we owned as a chiefly clan, what you would call in the mainland, quote-unquote, family. Pilcher said, quoting, all my neighbors are my relatives, cousins, and they live on their chiefly lands. We all live in harmony, and we look out for one another, unquote. The case was brought by American Samoans living in Utah who want rights afforded to U.S. citizens, like access to certain federal jobs, high-ranking military positions, and the ability to run for political office. American Samoa in the South Pacific, almost 5,000 miles away from the U.S. mainland, is made up of several islands and atolls and has a population of about 55,000. The U.S. territory is politically separate from the islands to the north that make up the independent state of Samoa. Instead of now, being. Roger, yes, Chris? I, I'm sure there's probably a couple of bad ones, but I don't know if there's a bunch of assholes over there. Where are you, where, where are you referring to? American oh, Samoa? Maybe I misheard you. I think you said atolls, maybe. I did say atolls. They're little things that pop up by these little organisms called coral. Okay. Ah, instead of being U.S. citizens, American Samoans are deemed quote-unquote non-citizen U.S. nationals, and their passport reads, quote, the bearer is a United States national and not a United States small-c citizen, unquote. To become U.S. citizens, American Samoans living in the States go through as an expedited version of the naturalization process, so they get a little bit of an easier path that is usually for foreign-born nationals. There are about 180,000 people with Samoan descent living in the States. Quote, if you are born in, in, uh, on U.S. sovereign soil, you are entitled to citizenship, quote, said Charles Ala Alina, one of the attorneys representing the plaintiffs in Utah. Quote, quoting Mr. Atalena, not any kind of lesser right. Let me read that again, quoting Mr. Lead Attorney, not any kind of lesser right. So the attorney that's vegan this is thinks it's a lesser right, and they're trying to achieve the higher federal citizenship under the 14th Amendment status. I'm not sure he's being authentic, or maybe he it's, doesn't understand. No, he, no he doesn't understand, Chris, obviously. Okay? 
So if I had a world of my own, everything would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't. And what it isn't, it wouldn't be, you see. Ahalina and other lawyers involved in the case argued that American Samoans should be granted birthright citizenship under the 14th Amendment. Come on! The U.S. District Court judge in Utah, Clark Wadup, agreed with the argument in his ruling, but before new passports were issued, he put the case on hold so that it can work its way through the court system on appeals. Because everybody under the sun's filing amicus briefs like the United States government and the Samoan, American Samoan government before the ink gets dry on the damn ruling. Okay? Quoting, the judge recognized that the 14th Amendment citizenship clause required that anybody born on foreign soil, U.S. soil, is entitled to full citizenship, quote-unquote, Alina said, not realizing that's what the hell they've got. That's what they're hiding. They don't have it, but it's hiding behind them. The attorney said the 14th Amendment was passed after the Civil War to correct the previous Constitution, <clears throat> which recognized different levels of nationality in the U.S. They allowed slaves. <laughs> what a nationality, man. What kind of an attorney are you? Nine Lumina Cruz, author of the Pacific Insular Cases of American Samoa. Evidently, this hey, Daryl, heads up. This is a book you may want to look at. Liney, L-I-N-E hyphen N-O-U-E. Lina Nui Mania Cruz, author of, quote, the Pacific Insular Case of American Samoa, said ending American Samoan's Distinct status as a non-citizen U.S. national may eventually lead federal judges to rule that their customary political system and land rights are unconstitutional, comparing it with what has happened with their native Hawaiians in Hawaii. In American Samoa, there are two distinct components to governance. The traditional chiefly system, and here's that word, the fahamatai, I think is how they'd say it, the fahamatai, and the communal lands where land ownership is held by families. Acquiring land in American Samoa also requires people to be at least 50% Samoan. Ah, sounds like discrimination to me. There's no nobility in America. <laughs> this is quoting that book I know that Daryl's probably looking for online already. There's no nobility in America, said Cruz, the author of that book, when talking about the Fatnahail political system, quote, there would be continuous lawsuits because our customs are contrary and, and it's a, a, anomalous to the United States. Anomalous. There's no sense of, cust there's no surveys on customary lands. So it's up to your family chief to determine who gets what, how everything is, dis is distributed. Pilcher, who's lived on family lands in Leone and Tallulah since, since he was five, is focused on protecting American Samoa's quota, cultural identity, and valuable land assets. 
When you live here in American Samoa, your family gives you land, and it's up to you to make a home from it, to grow things, to serve the family chief. Pilcher said, there are very sacred bonds between us and our land and our water. Land and water are extensions of our identity. And if you take away our land and water, you're not just serving, you're, you're not just severing us from economic mobility, you're killing part of our identity. Kazoon <laughs> height, Chris. Uh, Alima pushed back at the idea that it was better for American Samoan citizenship status to stay the same in order to protect their way of life. Everybody agrees American Samoa is a sovereign U.S. territory, Ahalema said. People born there do not have citizenship in any other place. The ruling is surprising to some as it contradicts a similar case in which a federal court in Washington in 2015 ruled against granting birthright citizenship for American Samoans. In 2016, the Supreme Court denied to hear the case. Well, fiddly-dee, fiddly-dum. The current case is expected to be appealed to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals in Denver. After that, it might head to the Supreme Court, which will, I promise you, deny certiorari. <laughs> which would be more likely to consider the case this time or to resort to resolve a constitutional conflict. Don't count on it, NBC. It, in the end, it's really the Supreme Court that will have to try and reconcile this kind of anomaly, Alima said. Fat chance, Alima. Why is American Samoa different from any other territory? Well, Mr. Lima, if you'll return my call, I'll tell you. That's the end of the article. What do y'all think? Pretty interesting, huh? What, what, what article was that? Uh, that was that in a, NBC, Roger? Yeah, that was the NBC article. And it doesn't have a date on Would it. You, so uh, until Yeah, I'll put both of them at the end of the show description today. So though there, there's just uh, two articles there. There's not three. No, there's only there two. Just two you read from? Yes, two that okay. I. Okay. Yeah. All right. And they both came to me over the weekend. That even though they're older, it's from different sources, by the way. So I, I wanted okay. to go on it because there's some really interesting things to discuss in there. And I was having a discussion yeah. with a listener who is one of these guys that, and I'm, I'm not picking on him. Okay, I'm just trying to differentiate, the, especially for you new people. One of these guys that wants to go in like Tom Schramm and, and my buddy Tom Schramm, not to degradate Tom, and go drag out a bunch of regulations and statutes. It says here, see, you can't fight this like that. It's the reason our damn community's never had any success in 30 years of beating them. you got to sit back and to approach this from the other end, from the simple end, and come back at it conceptually and get a handle on these big pieces, okay? Such as there's only two statuses. You're either free or you're bond. And it doesn't matter what the hell label they put on them. You're either free or you're bond. I've had an offer out there the entire time I've been on the radio. If anybody can come up to me with another option than those two statuses right there, I'm open to listen. Okay, so now we know there's only okay. two, and we know which one one of them is. So does it matter what the hell label they put on the other one? I didn't have to quote a regulation. I didn't have to name a statute, and I didn't name any Supreme Court in case in that common sense approach right there. 
Um, so uh, there's so much in here. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let me let me pick a pick up a few of the low hanging fruit here. Uh, this this is just for people, you know, uh, hiding in plain sight here, hiding in plain sight. That's where they always do. <clears throat> so so let's uh, let's let's take the most easily seen and overlooked aspect of what is obvious here completely overlooked um the uh the insular cases and u.s territories um uh puerto rico marineras u.s virgin islands american samoa all fall under the auspices of the insular case <clears throat> then Where, we go down from there we take it, that as the header was we Guam, go down from there let me just interrupt and, for a second, Daryl. Guam yeah. is often mentioned. Guam yeah. was not taken over by them 100 years ago. I think Guam was taken over on the approach to World War II. Is that not correct? Do you know the history on that? But Guam isn't included in that list that they put on there on the article. Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought Guam was uh, associated with the Philippines Maybe uh, in that period. Maybe. Time. Yeah. So, uh, which was a different situation. Uh, that was part of the Spanish American, uh, war maybe, but, uh, so then we have the insular cases and then we have this, uh, this territory called now listen to this, the U S Virgin islands. Okay. And then we have this other territory called, American Samoa. Now, why isn't the Virgin Islands called the American Virgin Islands? Because it's incorporated. And, or, or vice versa. Because it's incorporated. Why, why isn't American Samoa identified as U.S. Samoa? Because it's unincorporated. Uh, well, exactly. Exactly. It's right here. It's right. It's high. It's looking. These. Well, what, what's. What's the contradiction between these two? These, they're just naming these things arbitrarily. These no. aren't arbitrary names. No, no. Oh, let's. Oh, it'll sound good. Let's just call it that. No, no, no. They're telling you right there. It's American. <laughs> they're, they're, it, it's American Samoa. It's not a U.S. Samoa. Correct. Because if it was U.S. Samoa, they would, Be they would have their Fourteenth Amendment. Duties and it'd be incorporated. Okay. Listen, this lawyer, every everything that you say, yeah, everything that you, everything that you just said read in those articles, which were very interesting. At no time did any of the uh, comments in there, lawyer or otherwise, say duties. No, they didn't. Okay, this is just how this is just how uh, blind. Uh, uh, myopic their thinking and their focuses. Um, so I, I think this is, I think it's huge. Now what's the difference between the U S Virgin islands and American Samoa as a man or woman? Well, status standing and capacity as, as, uh, one of the people that, that live or was born in any one of these, uh, 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 territories okay what's what's the other thing here well they have status standing and capacity and it's unique and guess what the supreme court 
Hess status standing in a capacity. And guess what? They can't hear them. The U.S. Supreme Court doesn't have standing. <laughs> okay? And, and, and the reason that they can't, uh, the American Samoans can't exercise their, their, their small C rights and duties, the duties associated with those small C, is because they don't have standing. And it's for the same reason that the Montana Freemen and the Colorado, uh, whoever they were calling themselves, didn't have standing to do what they were doing. All right. No. It don't have standing. I keep saying this. Before the Civil War, the U.S. Supreme Court could talk to the state citizens. Couldn't Darryl, talk to them. That's right. You, we all could probably be enlightened that I think all the Colorado Nine were recently freed from their imprisonment and incarceration. Uh, Bruce and uh, Steve and mm-hmm. the whole group of them are out now. And I'm not sure what it might have to do with somebody taking care of correcting their status behind the scenes from Judge Anna's group. I think couldn't that be was they can't couldn't, they can't retroactively do that. They're never going to let you out of that on a retroactive affidavit. Just, Sorry, here, Chris. Here. I, don't think I I don't don't float that idea here because I don't think it is correct. Yeah. So I'm I don't not know sure the basis. Yeah. So. But but the, the point being is the point being is that they they caused a con- controversy, and, and they were uh, uh, challenging the uh, the the Lord of the Manor, okay, in their status. And they were trying to act outside of their standing, okay. They they were at war, okay. This is this is this is the the practical applications of why you have to correct. Your status, you have to, because you can't exercise a a uh, in a standing uh, that you don't have. Okay. Uh, I, it's, we've am, got. Did I make this, that clear? This is where. See, this is, yes, it was. This is where we can press our advantage, see, of putting them in the corner to recognize this. All right, because it's a it's an open, hidden deal. They've taken the old state citizenship status, and you, it was you, Daryl, that got up one night in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep, and got on the net and started checking the American Samoan newspaper online, and found out that if you yeah. commit an abortion over there today, they're going to charge you with murder. Well, guess what? The Supreme Court case ain't going to hear that either. No. Okay. You know why? For of course, because they can't. Well. They, they don't have standing. <laughs> they can't even address the issues and the facts, see? Now, no. for the audience that may not know the intricacies of the way the court system works, when they appeal that baby up from the appeals level back in 2015, they do it on a thing called a writ of certiary, and it's often referred to just as certiary. And there are approximately 5,000 cases that are sent up to the Supreme Court on certiorari per year, and they may be here 20. Okay? So it's not something that you're in a crapshoot just taking. It costs over a million dollars to put one of those babies up there, too. Hey, uh, hitching the giddy up here that we have to at least give some consideration to is when we look now and find that what we have is a replacement 
rump de facto extreme court that's highly conflicted, biased, and stacked and packed, and they've been cherry-picking to pick particular judges to hear Trump's cases to deny him fair, neutral, unbiased adjudication. Fair, neutral, unbiased. Those two cases, the Flynn case and the Roger Stone case, it was so extreme it didn't even fall into the opposite of any of those. They were rigged, they're political, they were witch hunting, they were based on lies, and those are your federal judges, especially at some of the lower ones. Okay. Well, I was being polite. I know you're you exactly were, Chris, right. and we appreciate your decorum here at the Radio Ranch. Um, so the other thing, now look, uh, there was another case, and I brought this up to Brent Friday, and I didn't get really an answer. I don't think we had so much stuff going on, but the, I think this is one of those really wrinkles and rare exceptions. When they remand a case back down, they generally remand it back to the court that sent it to them. Okay, here, listen to this again. We don't thank you, whatever. In the Trump cases last week, they remanded it from the Supreme Court back to the district court level, two levels back, and even suggested that Trump's attorneys might want to bring up new arguments. That's why they sent it back to the district court level, because if you take a case into this system that Chris is so fond of and you get you start at the district court level and you go to the appeals level well here's the catch if you appeal the court case to the appeals level you can't bring up any new arguments you can only cover things that were brought up at the district court in the original case that's why they remanded it back two levels and I've never heard of that before So if anybody's got any answers, I'd love to get your input on that. That was the, uh, Louis, the Louisiana abortion case, no. I think. No, 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 no. It was Trump's income tax. No, it was ta- ta- Trump's income oh. tax case. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, that's a politically motivated terrorism by uh, Nad Liar and Schumer and Pelosi trying to get into real records and you know, he can take them there. He doesn't have to produce them, though. They're uh, private records, and there's no requirement to produce them, only to well, bring them to the meeting. I, that is all true, but my particular interest was how have you ever heard of them remanding a case back down two levels and suggesting they bring up new arguments? Highly unusual. Okay. I mean, that's the point. Has anybody ever heard of that before? Uh, the period of escalating violence, and I think that's what we're seeing, and I think they're going for the gold ring this time because they know Here if they is. don't, after four years, their, their foundation is going to be so incredibly uh, uh, wrecked, they, it, they'll never be able to rebuild it. So as we go into the period of escalating violence, and that is from the communist working white papers of the Communist International, first submitted in 1919, voted on and approved unanimously in 1929, the four stages of a takeover of a country, the third stage being the period of escalating violence, uh, immediately precedent to the takeover stage. What were the two things they had to do at the end of the third stage, the period of escalating violence? One, get the guns, and two, get rid of the death penalty. This weekend, 
in St. Louis, that attorney and his wife attorney that defended their mansion where the people broke in on private property had his gun arrested. In Ray. In Ray. They didn't arrest the attorney. They came and arrested his gun, his AR-15, and her pistol was turned over to her lawyers. Got to get rid of the guns. Okay, where's the law that bans anybody from owning an AR-15 unless you're a convicted felon? He's an attorney. Obviously, he's not. The other one. Notwithstanding... No victim, no crime other than the people that were defending their property. He didn't do anything but just hold it. Okay? He didn't even point it at him if you watch the video. Okay, second example. This morning, this morning we were supposed to have the first execution in something like 15 or 20 years, and it was put off. Now, it was put off because of, I believe, the victim's family couldn't attend because they're they're elderly and they're uh, of course freaked out about covid and you know joining in death the guy that killed their family but anyway that was postponed and there's a couple of more that are lined up they're all happening up is it Terre Haute somewhere up in Indiana I believe wherever the federal yeah. institution is up there sure. because it's the only facility that has a death a death chamber that that still works period of escalating violence so I wanted to bring out those two things and throw those out on the table on top of what we've already covered. I've been speaking for pretty much the whole hour, and I'd like to hear your ideas. Mm. Jack, welcome, man. That's a pretty picture of you, man. <laughs> nice hat. Cat. Uh, on the... People defending their property there, that's not radically dissimilar from the case that I beat the false felony on. And corpus, the body, uh, doctrine of corpus delecti, no victim, no crime, as stated in C versus Seattle. The castle doctrine, man's home is his castle, which in many states is the standard ground law, which should come to operate in that particular scenario because they were protecting their property that had already been trespassed on, breached by a violent radical gang of terrorists that they came out to stave off, never pointing anything, but keeping it Hold safely it. ready. Hold it. It's, it's even it, their property. What the guy said in his statement when he was on the media is he said, look, I watched the night before when they're burning down police stations and all these other buildings in St. Louis. And if you'll remember, it was the night before when that black police chief in somewhere in the St. Louis vicinity was trying to help somebody whose store was being looted and they shot him. Very highly respected black police chief. He said, I saw these two things go on in the last day or two. What am I supposed to expect? Totality of circumstances. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's real ugly. Um, amazing times. There's so many things happening that are worthy of discussion. And, but I wanted to go back to this American Samoan thing for our people because it, it is so intricate how they've done it and the, the equivocation that's set up between a U.S. national and a non-citizen U.S. national is just classic for these people. It's classic. They had to pull out all their stops to pull this one up 
and make it operable, and you're looking at the integral part of it right there. The 14th Amendment and how it was applied and no. hiding that original status is the critical piece to their plan. Wouldn't so one... They, Go ahead, they, they, Okay, Chris. Uh, they, they performed this uh, fourth auto malice and deception uh, in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And that's so where... I, I want to... The lone dissenter, Harlan's uh, uh, dissent, if I could lay my hands on it, is just so valuable to see the time frame that they're working in. They're stripped naked right here. And and the uh, the reason I even bring this up in that context is that the forethought of malice, the premeditated trespass on your original status and rights associated with that and duties was was usurped long before probably your parents were born and you have lived your entire life consenting to a fraud and why would you want to support them why would you pay them why would you submit yourself why would you be obedient you see here's the rub when you actually know this and you continue to, then you have to look in the mirror. That's right, buddy. I'm glad you have to look at you and I don't. That's right. I should go get that poem. See, Maybe I'll search it. I up. don't I don't have <laughs> I was going to comment that it seems critically and intricate and important. That that distinction between a U.S. national and a non-citizen U.S. national testifies to the unfortunate reality that a citizen, a city denizen, is a serf or a slave of the city. And that, that is a diminished and extremely dangerous capacity for those who don't know the implications of what they're testifying to when they admit to being a citizen, although maybe going back early, early at the time of the Articles of the Confederation and the Constitution 4, 1787, that capital C state citizen may have had a different connote, but I'm not even convinced then that citizen was not a subservient capacity. Okay, Chris. Well, we do know that after the 14th Amendment, it was. Okay, hold on. I think I got it here. Here, here. Ah, I do have, as long as I'm doing all the reading today. If I remember right, this one's pretty, pretty good. When you get all your want, when you get all you want, and you struggle for self, and the world makes you king for a day, then go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your mother, your father, or wife whose judges upon you must pass, but the man whose verdict counts most in your life is the one staring back from the glass. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you right 
to the end and you've passed your most difficult test if the man in the glass is your friend. You may be like Jack Horner and chisel a plum and think you're a wonderful guy. But the man in the glass says you're only a bum if you can't look him straight in the eye. You can fool the whole world down the highest highway of years and take pats on the back as you pass. But your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. How about that? Yeah. Yep. Well, that's uh, that, that that lays it out pretty good. So you know we have this uh, intersection between uh, uh, knowledge, history, law, the facts, the evidence, and uh, how people individually and subjectively relate their behavior and their actions and how they live with themselves or they don't. And some people can't live with themselves to the point where they destroy themselves, either with a, a by their behaviors or, or putting a gun to the head. You know, that's that's the point where okay. people get to. Go and, go look uh, at go look at the man in the glass and ask him, Are you free or are you bond? Yeah. Or um, you can also ask yourself do I trust myself? Because see, if you can't trust yourself, then you're lying to yourself. Uh, look, I'm trying to make this real simple. I could, uh, I'd sit in an airplane with a guy or in the simulator, but but in an airplane, and there'd be a tough situation going on, and you could always tell who was confident because they understood what they could do, and they they did it. And the other people, when they get skittish and nervous and scared, because they didn't trust themselves. They really weren't sure. They could put on the uniform. They could act the part. But there was some of these guys, when it really things got really tough, they couldn't do it. Or you get them in a check ride in a simulator where their job was online, and they'd put them under a little pressure, and they'd break. They couldn't do it. Okay. They didn't have, they could put on the uniform, they could put on the show, they could cash the check, but they couldn't execute. They couldn't do it. And, uh, you know, um, I, this just comes back to integrity. And, and if you can't act with integrity, why would you expect this out of other people when you can't do it yourself? You know, this is, uh, uh, we, we've come to the point where we have to address these things. And, and uh, see, we can't do it for the group. And, you uh, can't go out and change the group, all this craziness. You can't even sit down and talk to anybody without yelling you down. you got to do this individually. That was what I've been yeah. preaching for how long? Uh, yeah. This is an individual thing. You can't wait back and sit and wait for a group to do something. Because the group's never going to no, no. do it if you do. And that's my personal experience. Well, I, I, I say that 
I say that there's been a lot of child abuse over the years, even in our generation where, where parents and community um, and families did for children when they should have been requiring the children to learn how to do it for themselves. And uh, you, you do nobody a favor for doing for them what they should do for themselves. You have not done them a favor. And, and now, uh, for my generation, the people that were coddled, uh, they get to the point where they're in their 60s now, I'm in my generation, and they're still, they're still candy asses. Yeah, better get uncoddled. <laughs> better, better, hey, better get uncoddled real quick. Here's a headline. And, and that, so this makes me sick. Yeah. Okay, here's a headline, Zero Hedge. Yeah. Black Lives Matter supporters ambush and murder a young white mother of 24 for saying all lives matter. This happened over 4th of July. It's just coming out. Okay, this morning, last night in Brooklyn, Stuyvester, wherever that is up there in New York, it's in the black district. Three black guys had their one-year-old child out on the street. They were barbecuing out on the street and going to cook dinner. Three black guys came up and shot them all and murdered the one-year-old. I think shot all of them, but they killed the one-year-old last night in Brooklyn. Openly. Okay, that's what's going on by this. And it's a relatively small group, but look what they got behind them. They got all the corporate structure. They got all the rotten political structure. They got all the totally rotten bureaucratic structure all behind them. Okay, one thing that came up that I thought was good, we don't think we talked about it last week, was the president of Goya Foods. I'm sure some of you have seen some of this by now was invited to the White yeah. House. He's the largest yes. employer, and he's the largest owned Hispanic business in the United States. It was started by, I think, his grandfather when he came over penniless from Spain 100 years ago. Okay. They built it up to the largest Hispanic-owned business in the United States. He was invited last week when Trump had the president of Mexico up there. He was invited in. They were doing some Hispanic community things along with that. He was invited up and gave a speech at the White House to which he's been absolutely, totally, 100% demonized. It didn't matter that he'd gone up there with the Obamas called and done a lot of things they were trying to target to the Hispanic and black communities, but he went up there with Trump and he praised Trump and he has caught holy hell for it. Over the weekend, some talk show host somewhere, instead of doing a boycott, because they immediately, you know, AOC and the usual crew said they could start cooking their own beans or something to that effect. And so this guy came out instead of a boycott, he said, let's start a boycott." A boycott, and he suggested that everybody buy ten dollars worth of Goya foods when they go to the store next time and donate it to the local charity and food bank. Well, evidently, it's cleaned off the shelves of Goya products just in the last forty-eight hours all over the country. It ain't even started yet. Okay, so there's some very, very, very interesting things. I, I, I just I wanted to spend the first part of the show this week on that American Samoa thing because it's so important and it's so insightful and it, it is the more I come to understand that that was the key thing in their whole plan is they had to hide the other status why do they have to hide it because no matter what you think they don't have the power to get rid of it okay the only thing they've got the power to do is veneer over it 
what that what in, in, in Pitney Blows we used to call that cancel cancel and supersede. They got the they got the ability to cancel and supersede over it, veneer over it, but they got to hide it because they don't have the power to get rid of it. And so quit imputing all the power that you give these guys because they're frauds. They rely totally yeah. on fraud, trickery, and deception, and you're being played. And if you go dig in those regulations and those statutes and try and interpret what they're saying, is reading words you don't even know the damn definition to, you're going to be played. Just like our whole community's been the whole damn time I've been in it. There's only two statuses. You're free or you're bond. Which one are you? We know which one's which. That's how complicated yeah. this is. Well, if you're, uh, if you're a U.S. citizen and you consent to that, you're in bond. If you're a U.S. national, you're free. You know, I remember the but story. You have to you got to act you got to do something you got to stand up get some balls and tell them what you are instead of being tricked into telling them what you're not i just wanted to uh, toss out here uh i saw a uh, a james corbett uh, presentation last night uh, it's about 40 minutes long he, he's being interviewed by this other guy it's a very recent post you can find it on youtube and uh, they're talking about a book. It's called um, "Political Obedience: The Politics of Polit uh, Polit Political Obedience." Um, and uh, uh, this book is quite old. It was written by a Frenchman, and uh, it goes into the mindset that uh, is pervasive um, uh, in this, in our, in our country, in our society, in our families, in, uh, in our own lives, of uh, deferring uh, ob obedience, political obedience to those that uh, that is illegitimate. And uh, <laughs> these two guys were so excited about talking about the book, it was hard to get them to sit still long enough to show the book online uh, in, in the camera so I could write it down, but. Uh, you might find that interesting into uh, uh, how how politics, authority, and power have been uh, uh, conflated in people's minds and their relationship to it. So, if that listen, they've been might, working on they've been working on this for a long time, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, eighteen thirty-seven at least. I think seventeen seventy-six when they founded the Illuminati on May 1st. The great yeah, work, well, that's what they call it. I, What's I the, think that... Uh, the great work, yeah. the, the takeover and control the of the world through these mechanisms. Well, I would... I, just my opinion on this uh, matter, I've, I've spent some time on it now and trying to be very objective, but I would, uh, I would say that there's a lot of evidence that indicates that Alexander Hamilton was a... Uh, was a rat <laughs> and uh uh he owned slaves yeah uh, and he owned slaves here here yeah he was a rat. alexander alexander hamilton was a very 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 interesting man when you go into his 
details of his personal life and and completely look through. Uh, you know, um, Alexander Hamilton. We we live in the country that Alexander at this present time. Yep, we live in the land that Alexander Alexander Hamilton went through uh, much devious work to create in uh, seventeen. 17- 87 and 88 in order to get that constitution written in the form that it was written in Hamiltonia. And uh, should we change the name to Hamiltonia? Well, I, I like, I like what my friend, Mr. Gaddy says. He says the, the, the native, the native people who think they're Americans and Patriots believe that they live in Jefferson's America when they actually live in Hamilton's United States. <laughs> and this is, this is the confusion, you know, there's the rub. So, well, I, I, I think that uh, that those identifiers and conce- conceptual blocks of Jeffersonian, Hamiltonian and Lincolntonian are really important to understand. Oh yeah. Yeah. You got to be patient with it. And if you go back and look but at the, the statistics, Hands down, which one wins? Hands down. And you can guess which one it is, and that's the one that's being demonized. Did you see that little video I sent you on the flag, by the way, Daryl? I did, and I appreciated that. I I knew there was a distinction, but that that was a very short, to-the-point, four-and-a-half-minute-long video that covered the, uh, the battle flag, the stars and the bars, and the Confederate national flag. And uh, it was very, uh, very instructional. Um, the Confederate White House. I probably won't be here yeah. for the yeah, audience. I, I probably won't be here next Thursday. Yeah, go ahead. Next go Thursday ahead. you won't be here? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to uh, Shiloh, Tennessee for the uh, anniversary of the Battle of Shiloh. Oh, that ought to be fun. So, um, yeah. the, this was uh, done by, they, they saved in Richmond the Confederate White House. Back, I guess, in the 80s or something, they were going to destroy it, and somebody came out and saved it. And the guy that was being interviewed was, I think, the curator of that establishment there in Richmond. And he was being asked about the Confederate battle flag. And he gave the history, as Daryl said, very short and concise in a couple of minutes. But what I didn't realize is that the Stars and Bars was never the f- a flag size flag, a rectangle. It was always a square. And it was only yeah. for the naval yeah. forces and somebody else that had the full size flag. And then the confusion, they didn't want, they wanted to incorporate it back into the Confederate battle flag, but they didn't want the confusion into their regular flag and they didn't want the confusion there. So they miniaturized it up in the corner and made the rest of the flag white in field. It was very interesting. And then to differentiate that later on so that it didn't get confused, they put a red stripe on the end of it. Yeah. The, uh, the full size uh, battle flag is uh, representative of uh, Lee's uh, Army of Virginia. Correct. And uh, so uh, there was a it was an interesting history there. Very it, interesting. It was. I thought and, so too. Uh, I didn't know it either. I didn't think probably you might not have been yeah. exposed to it. Uh, Jack, you're with us here. You're you're real pretty. You're the only one with a picture up there. How you doing today, bro? Are you going to talk to us? Yeah, uh, 
I logged in when you were having a, a radio check issues with Chris earlier, uh, but you've never missed a beat on TuneIn up until that time. Uh, now I've switched off on to Jitsi uh, since then. Uh, you're coming in real good high fidelity, and, and that headset Daryl's got, I'm going to get one of those in the hopper to try to get it down here. Don't know how without uh, these mules on the airlines now not coming here anymore. <laughs> hey, Jack, when you find when you yeah. find the mule, can you get them to bring me some pipe tobacco? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy smokes. Now, listen, I'm glad Jack's on. I was going to say it's a kind of a rainy, drizzly morning in Ecuador here this morning, and we have hardly had a week full of summer weather in the last month and a half. And I keep complaining about it. And Jack informed me the other day, we got two volcanoes go, that have erupted recently. I knew about one, and I saw the video of a tremendous explosion about 120 kilometers south of us, I guess. Where's the other one, Jack? 90 kilometers east of us. Directly east of us. So it's two, one southeast and one east. And they're just pumping, pumping, pumping away, uh, you know. Kind of like a, a chemtrails, you know, blocking yeah. out the sun. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hadn't been here as long as you have by any stripe, about three years now, and I got to see the part end part of the first summer that I moved up here at the late part of July. But, man, none of them I've been in so far have been like this. It, it's real different. Yeah, and it's you're not the only one uh, recognizing it. There's a lot of people start scratching their head and going, wow. You know, we got rainy season and we've got dry season. Uh, pretty normally in the past has been fairly distinct, but not anymore with, uh, you know, all this going on, like that Ice Age Farmer and, and Cliff High's information on the uh, solar minimum, grand well, solar minimum has got to be kicking in, in at some point. In the last two weeks – Sichuan, which is over in western China where they're persecuting the Uyghurs, they had a foot and a half of snow last week. And Jackson Hole, Wyoming, had uh, one of the lowest recorded temperatures in the summer they've ever recorded just in the last couple of days. So there's your global solar minimum. It's about to get real hot, too, but, it, you know, you start seeing little fringes of that earlier fall and winter and a later spring, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and th see, we've got that hydroelectric dam uh, also uh, close oh. to that Reventador volcano, 90 kilometers east, dead east of us, down the mountain, going towards the Amazon jungle. And that phenomenon of uh, the riverbed washing away and the banks that, that knocked out three 36-inch uh, Petro Ecuador oil pipelines uh, in April and back in February, it took out one of our biggest, most beautiful waterfalls in the entire country. And it's headed for the dam, hydroelectric dam. And that's 35, 40% of our power grid that's going to be another, knocked out. Another wonderful Chinese, well thought out and well constructed project. 
three billion dollars, um, one billion uh, for Rafael Correa, and two billion for the little Chinese army. Probably, you know, without a doubt, because we know how the Chinese work. The China situation is getting more acute, more dams failing, more water, more rain. Um, the other interesting development over the weekend, there have been some defectors from the Wuhan lab and from the associate uh, big China de- uh, uh, association uh, organization in Hong Kong who had been in contact with Wuhan people. And she has fled, and she's under FBI protection, and she's given interviews and talking, and evidently others are defecting too uh, from the viral disease research establishment are defecting um yikes now that's that's pretty interesting there it is um shed some light on uh this this manufactured uh let me scam pandemic they got us in let me give you a little insight into one of our georgia boys there jack one newt the toot gingrich who I saw in an interview today. Of course, he's in President Trump's corner to talk about bringing those jobs back and buy American, Howard Biden's ripping him off, et cetera, et cetera. Mr. Gingrich, need I remind you, is the Speaker of the House, son of a bitch, that opened up a lame duck session under Clinton and passed NAFTA that started the whole damn thing. That's Newt Gingrich. Mr. New Age, New God, what a piece of human crap. Fruity duty. <laughs> Trader. That's he's a, subject to He's another one of them rhino traders that are over on that Republican side. Is that son of a bitch right there? May I also bring to your attention and consideration that and I think it may have been the same session that he deregulated the broadcast industry and allowed for Wall Street to own thousands of broadcast media under one umbrella. Consolidating down to those six corporations that run the media for the whole planet. And then getting up there and talking all this freedom stuff, you hypocrite son of a bitch. Hopefully he'll be exposed with maybe uh, uh, Maxwell House, good to the last drop. Maybe she could get him involved in there. You You think he he may have had an affair with Ghislaine Maxwell too? Well, I've not heard anything about that on him, but he strikes me in his mannerisms and the way he talks. Um, he puts me in mind of uh, that other uh, senator fellow. Lindsey Graham. Sure. Sugar, yeah. sugar, sugar britches. Sugar. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of effeminate. Well, I, you know, I remind you of the story of that. Uh, uh, that now, Jack knew David Strait, okay? Not David yeah. Strait, this new guy, but the old guy. And David yeah. – had done real well in his life, and he had a Christmas party every year, and people literally came from all over the world to attend it. Okay, And I was stuck one of those years. He had assigned seating with the people from Kennesaw State University that used to teach with Newt Gingrich because that's where he taught. And it was the gal, and I don't remember her name. She was married to the guy that taught political science. I remember she was about six inches taller than he was. But he was a real nice guy, and she was too, and we were sitting at that assigned seating table and talking about this stuff. She was the gal that Gingrich appointed as the House historian. 
and got up there and the usual group came out, went back and researched her PhD thesis. And she said one sentence in the PhD thesis that they ran her out of town on. Some of you may remember that if you weren't in Atlanta, you might not. But anyway, that's what happened, and we were discussing that incident at that table that night. And she told me personally that there were three people in the room when they made that decision, and it was her, the Speaker of House Newt Gingrich, and Abe Foxman of the ADL. And when Abe Foxman said jump, Newt Gingrich says, how high, Massa, how high? <laughs> yeah. Fruity nudie. Fruity hey, nudie. Roger. We got a couple of G's that joined us here. You got you guys got some kind of piece to say? Yeah, hey Rog. Hey. Is it Samuel? This is Gary. Gary. That's the first time you've called in on Jitsi. That's this first. Yeah, I'm a rookie on Jitsi and I like this program. It's a nice platform. Terrific. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Simple, real simple to use. Yeah, um, but hey, it all, Jack, Chris, Daryl. Uh, hey. Yeah, um, you were talking about Hamilton earlier, and and correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't he a? Uh, he was definitely a rat, as far as I, my understanding goes. But I, I, I understood him to be a, a British agent for the Rothschild Bank. His father, his father was Jewish, I believe, and he was a trader in Manserat. Okay. Is that right, Daryl? Well, he he was an orphan. Um, the as the uh, <clears throat> as the story goes, he was a he was an orphan and uh, started work in a. Uh, uh, a trading house in Metsera. Maserat. Maserat, I think or so. It's one of the islands in the Caribbean. It's in the Caribbean, yeah. And uh, within a within a very short period of time, he, uh, by his deft ability at uh, calculation and his ability to write complex uh, um uh, brief wordings, letters. Uh, he he was recognized as uh, being an asset and was promptly shipped up to uh, United States for um, in the colonies as it were for uh, education. And uh, <clears throat> where he enlisted after he he got out of school, he enlisted um, and. Uh, came to the attention of um, George Washington. George Washington makes him his aide-de-camp, and uh, it, it all goes from there. So he had a uh, – he was uh, supposedly raised without a father, and uh, the, the mythology is, is that uh, Alexander Hamilton was a boy without a father – and General George Washington was a man without a son, and they uh, combined forces over a very long period of time. And uh, Hamilton actually did pretty good up to the point where George Washington died. After Washington dies, uh, 
Hamilton uh, career in life pretty much uh, goes down the tubes and uh, politically and uh, personally and uh, so on and so forth. So well, he had a, a pretty. A it's pretty, an interesting story. He had a pretty embedded enemy there after Mr. Washington died, named Mr. Jefferson. They didn't like each other worth a flip. Well, yeah, um, you know, uh, Alexander Hamilton, after graduating from the the college there, um, which later became known as Princeton, um, was a, was in a was a lawyer, and uh, his uh, protege at the time, <laughs> uh, who was basically of the same age, uh, was uh, Burr, Aaron Burr, right. And uh, they used to argue cases across from each other, uh, both having graduated from the same law school. Uh, one was a, a poor boy made good, Alexander Hamilton, and Aaron Burr was the little Lord Fauntleroy of the time uh, who came from privilege. And uh, they both despised each other, I guess. Uh, the arguments made is that they despised each other from the beginning because of their different classes. And this, this rivalry continued, you know, well, uh, up until Aaron Burr shot him in a duel and killed him. So, um, you know, that <laughs> it's, it's a very interesting story. Um, but, but Alexander Hamilton is at the root, the very core of the federal system and the constitution. And uh, it's interesting that a, a, uh, a, an adolescent who was an orphan and then mysteriously rises up through the trading houses, goes to uh, uh, New York, uh, gets educated, becomes a lawyer, and then basically is uh, in some ways uh, – at the highest levels of command of the uh, Revolutionary Army yes. at, the, at the ripe old age of uh, 22, 23, 21, 22, 23. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's like, it's kind of like Obama, isn't it? Kind of. <laughs> you know, who was, yeah, yeah. So when he was in, when he was in the Caribbean working at the trading house as a 14, 15-year-old boy, what trading house was he working for? Who owned the trading house? I'll give you one guess. <laughs> I bet, I uh, well, bet, bet they dealt in slaves. I'll bet they did too, and I'll, I'll, bet, uh, I'll bet they weren't Irish. <laughs> or Presbyterian. Or Presbyterian. Or Presbyterian, yeah. So... Uh, Always the same you know, bunch. I, I, it doesn't matter I which to, path you trace. It always goes back to the same bunch doing the same crap. I have, I really have to admit, uh, as little as five years ago, uh, I had really no understanding or, or, or real significant appreciation for the complexity and, and the integration of how the uh, Sephardic Jews and the uh, British East India Company had so affected the foundation, the very core foundation 
and um, substance of this of this so-called country from the absolute very beginning. And and I I I really I was blind to it. I I because it's not taught. It's not ever been revealed. It's never even been alluded to. It was completely been censored and expunged out of all context in history. And um, you could you could watch any number of, of read books or articles on Alexander Hamilton and never realize his Jewish connection. Oh, hey, listen, never this, be told. Is, this is great. The, the cancel culture. There's a play on Broadway right now. It's been running for a couple of years called Hamilton. Do you know about Hamilton. that? Yeah. You know yeah, what's do. unique about Hamilton? The play? Hamilton's played by a black. He's a black They're guy. All, everybody's, I think almost everybody's played by a black. And yet the cancel <laughs> culture and Black Lives Matter is, is demanding it be closed. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, I wanted to throw this out there. How many people that don't even maybe yet own a gun? got up off the couch when that Soros-sponsored district attorney in St. Louis had that AR-15 arrested. You know, Brent talks about well, the mob and their I, hysteria I and all of their stuff where they get like, I was thinking about this over the weekend in fishing terms, and, you know, if you go out and see a, what they call a bait ball, you know, a, a school of bait fish that are going along, and the predator fish, the mackerel or the tuna or whoever it is, are, are out there, and they get them up in a ball, okay? And they start circling and picking off the weak ones, off the edges, all right? And you'll notice that ball is like that flock of sparrows in the skies in the fall they can turn on a, just a dime and that whole mass just goes another direction okay there's your herd instinct right there all right and then the predator fish start picking them off and if they get to a point they just start going through the schools of them with their mouths open they just go through the whole school with their mouth totally open and picking up the other ones coming back well when they start doing that they start hitting their own same species that are going through the bait ball with their mouths open, and they're literally tearing themselves apart, and that's what this mob's doing, okay? Assassinating a 24-year-old mother with a one-year-old baby out walking in the park because she told a gang of effing thugs that all lives matter, and they shoot her and kill her. That's the mob. That's the fish going through there and ripping their fellows out. Because I'm going to guarantee you when that dumb bitch in St. Louis that Soros put her in office is causing all this crap out there, as the other accomplices in the other cities are doing, that got a bunch of people off the couch thinking right there. Oh, yeah. They poke the bear. They keep poking the bear, kicking the hornet's nest. It's going to backlash. There's how many hundreds of millions of guns that we have the good old boy like us, uh, they they poke it too far, and I I gotta believe enough will be enough. And I you know like Sheriff Daniels, like you mentioned last week in Clay County up in the, uh, Jacksonville, you know wanting to deputize all law-abiding gun owners. It's like sign me up. It's coming. We may be we may be yep, in a second we genius. may be in a second war to see if the civil government stays. Uh, here, here's another example on another front, just food for thought. I got this from our good listener, Lori, that sends me stuff all the time. This comes through a pastor. 
okay? And it's just a little short thing here. It says, subject, got this from my cousin today. Larry, I got this from my cousin today. He lives near uh, San Antonio Airport, just outside 410. I was called Ziggy as a nickname growing up because Siegfried is my middle name. Just so you know, his wife is Ruth. Yes, exclamation point. Check this out. Ruth had a client yesterday. She has a design business, and one of the employees tested positive for the virus. So by San Antonio ordinance, the health department contacted her, and she said it was mandatory that everyone at her office get tested immediately or they would close down the business. Ruth's client and two other team female employees went to CVS Pharmacy to get tested. They had to wait out in a parking lot. A CVS employee came out, got their names, addresses, and phone numbers. After one hour in the parking lot and still no end in sight, all three women just left and didn't get tested. Lo and behold, every single one of them received a call that night that they'd tested positive. (laughs) When, when the women said it was impossible because they never took the test, the person insisted the tests were still positive. Why is this insane? The women want to take their story to Fox News and get on Tucker Carlson. How about that? <laughs> I had to laugh and I wanted to read it. Thank you, Lori. Ka-ching, $13,000. You tested positive. <laughs> Ooh, try to maintain your sanity, folks. First thing you can do to get sane is to get an affidavit filed to get your status straight and start working all the scrambled eggs out of your brains that they put in there your whole damn life. Darn Speaking of on, the matter of guns, uh, oh. on the matter of guns, if I might, just yes. quickly here. Uh, my friend that owns the gun store over here about 10 miles from me, uh, we've, we've become quite good friends. And uh, they usually carry quite an inventory. And uh, they have approximately only uh, 30% in the store of what they typically try to carry, uh, rifles and handguns. Mm. And they can't get really resupplied. Uh, they're selling everything out and they can't get resupplied. Out of ammo, too? So sh- shotguns, rifles, handguns, they're all they're all just going out the door. I tell you, for, and, people, and that wanna, for, for people that want to get rid of the Second Amendment, these are the most inept some bitches that have ever come down the line. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, Roger, yeah, I had, a, uh, I had an administrative question for Oh, you. good. Good questions. Gary, so, front and center. I, I want... Wanted to seek your counsel. Okay. Uh, my brother, Dave, over in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, he's looking to become free and and uh, cut the cord finally. And he's going to be doing that probably within the next few months or so. He's mopping up uh, his IRS, you know, just that whole thing. So uh, and so he'll have a, a clean slate and he'll be good to go. And uh, as you had always recommended, to go in clean. And uh, so... Now he's working for a corporation, pretty good size, and uh, 
and he's wondering post haste, you know, after after um, filing and all, getting down to the tax thing. And how would he deal with the payroll company? How do you go about? Is there a form? Isn't there like a the revocation they, of election? They well, you know, here's the here's where the rubber meets the road, Gary, and everybody. I learned many years ago. There's no employer, corporate or otherwise, that's going to fight the IRS for you. They all scared as hell of them, too. Understood. Okay. So uh, I was going to, funny you should bring that up, I was going to relate the story about my friend also in Florida who's ex, uh, ex-Army uh, helicopter pilot. And he got turned on to me through a mutual friend of fishing buddy. Uh, before Obama was running, and Obama was talking about the 14th Amendment and stuff. And he saw something about it and asked my friend about it, and he said, you need to talk to my buddy Roger. And he and I spent some time on the phone. He's a super sharp kid. He's the son of a doctor out of Memphis, and he's retired, and he's there in Fort Walton area. And he had to go back to work. Uh, he'd been doing pretty well. He got a girlfriend in California who had a child and the California judge wouldn't allow the child to leave the state. So she never could come visit him in Florida. And he was constantly having to go to California and it was tapping into his funds. So he had to go back to work and he went and got a job on a civil service company there. There's a whole bunch of them that surround Eglin Air Force Base there in the Fort Walton Destin area. And uh, the first day he went in, filled out all his paperwork. Well, one of the things that you have to do now, federal law, is anybody gets a job, one of the first things you got to fill out is a form called an I 9. Okay. I think that's through immigration or something. I'm not sure of the specifics, but I know you got to fill it out. And if you want to go look an I-9 up online, you'll see there's a number of options at the top as to your status. Well, he had not filed an affidavit, but he knew the information and understood it, and so he just checked U.S. National. He went on to work, had a great first day at work. He said he came in the second day, and the boss's office was up by the front door. And he said, literally, this was his description. He said, Roger, it was like I was in vaudeville, and they wanted to get me off stage, and somebody reaches a cane out there and puts it around your neck and yanks you off stage. He said, that's about the way I felt, because I didn't get two steps inside the door before the boss said, get in here. And he put that I-9 on the table. He said, if you don't change that, you don't have a job. Now, he had not filed an affidavit yet. That was the key point here, okay? Because now, if he would have pursued it and he had an affidavit on file, I would imagine he could have taken a real nice discrimination suit and probably never had to work another day in his life. He could have fished all the time, okay? So I don't know how to answer it. With the corporation, best I remember, they make you fill out, I think it's a W-4 where you – the W-4, yeah, the employees, yeah. all that yeah. stuff. I don't know. It let him file it. I wouldn't change that. I'd just make the highest deductions and give the IRS a little bit every year for your freedom. You know, that's what Neil Bortz used to do there, the talk host in Atlanta who was an attorney. And he said, I do my taxes every year, and I give an extra $250 to them because I know they'll never come after me. So it depends on how much Dave wants to fight. Okay, okay. I, 
I just wonder if there was the revocation of election. If that well, yeah, there is all the that stuff, but you don't do that with your with your company. You do that with the IRS. With the direct. But this that's way, direct. that's if you're doing it by their by their regulations where it specifically states if you've been misfiling as a wrong status, you can do a revocation of election and change and start filing 1040 in ours, which is what we did. And the first few people that did that got huge checks back because you got three years tax payments back. The non-resident. Until the IRS figured out what was happening, and I doubt that they've ever released a penny under a 1040 in ours since. Mm-hmm. So well, the thing is, there, unless, there. you know, the thing, if you go back at the head of this, and this is what John and them never understood, if you change your status and that non-resident alien, you only owe, are obligated to two sections of the code anyway, 871 and 877. And if you've got any income from corporate bonds or you're leaving the country and expatriating and you got stuff you need to clean up, clean it up and leave. If you got corporate bonds from Union Pacific Railroad like Bruce Haber did, pay them. Yeah, there's there's another there's another possibility here where uh, he could change his relationship to the employer, and, and I don't know about his particular contracted, and and uh, they they're not responsible for the, the or, at at the corporation. They can just pay it, or they could. Your brother could set up a trust where they have to pay the trust. Yeah, something like and, that. There, um, there's a number of different ways yeah. to approach it. There's no cookie-cutter answer. You know, the two sticky wickets here are IRS and driver's license. Right, right. Okay, okay. I just take some more digging, too. Um, okay. I just wanted to bend your ear on that. Yeah, and I wish I had a more concrete answer for you. I, I don't believe the revocation of election, everything is necessary. I have thought about people submitting the affidavit to the IRS when it's filed at the Secretary of State, and I have come up with at least at the heading of whatever communication you send them, you put in bold letters, this is legal process, you are being served. Mm. Consider this as notice. Putting them on notice. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, Daryl, give you a heads up. Jimmy's already got us an email with the link to that book for you. <laughs> yeah. That's Thanks, my Jimmy. Buddy Jimmy. <laughs> yep. Who yeah, probably is about listening. to? He's about to be uh, uh, an Alabamian here pretty soon, maybe. Yeah, he keeps threatening that. <laughs> Jimmy, to Jimmy, let me say this, my friend, who I've never met and been such a big supporter of mine for a long time. I think you'll find the move really beneficial. Well, I, uh, I, I know you're listening, Jimmy. Remember, I, I told you you got until the election. Two weeks after the election, it won't be safe to move. You better get it done. <laughs> that may be true. That very well may be true. Uh, although, it, let's there's hope... going to be there's going to be a there's going to be trouble one way or the other. It doesn't matter whoever wins. There's going to be trouble. That's probably correct. It's just to, to what degree is the question? Yeah. Lock and load. Lock and load. Gary. Yep. Yeah. 
uh, it looked like you were trying to say something. No, I just said lock and load. Yeah, lock and load. Keep the powder dry. Don't fire till you see the whites of their Antifa eyes and their white skin yelling Black Lives Matter. Yep. What was the little, there was a little mm. meme that fl- flowed around last night. Let me see if I can dig it up real quick because it was good. Uh, and it was uh, a guy in a cartoon with a Black Lives Matter t-shirt holding up a sign. Oh, yeah. It says BLM, Black Lives Matter. And the guy, a little fatter next to him, says belligerent lying Marxists. And he's got a yeah. BLM t-shirt yeah. on too. <laughs> yeah, that's a hoot. So there you go. Well, listen, Jim Ram is going to be next. I think Monday is the day he's usually live. I would expect him to be with us. I'll back out of this Jitsi forum, and he kind of takes it over, I think, is the protocol these days. Uh, wanted to spend a, much, uh, a bunch of time on that American Samoa thing today, and I'm glad we got an opportunity to. It's a really critical, critical thing to understand the equivocation between a U.S. national and a non-citizen national where they got everybody fooled, even the lead attorney on the damn lawsuit. Um, tomorrow we'll see what goes under the bridge in 22 hours. I want to thank everybody. I hope you got something out of today. I'll put those links to both the articles and the Levin article, uh, interview with uh, Dr. Elliot and the other gentleman on there for your perusal. Have a great day, kids. Thank you. Pretty good, Thanks, productive. Rob. Good session today, Jack. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Thank you, Roger. Bye-bye. As all, folks, mañana en la mañana, verlos. Hasta la vista, big man.